to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. No matter where you've been or how you failed, you just come back and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you again. Help me to trust you. To keep on believing and to keep on being confident and to keep on repenting. As often as we sin, as often as we fail, as often as we do what we shouldn't do, we come back and we confess it. We repent. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, in a message titled, To Those Who Overcome. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We lived in a culture that for a long time was just simply indifferent to Christ and his gospel. Hey, yeah, that Jesus, we hear about Jesus, but you know, yeah, that's over there. It doesn't bother me. I, they don't bother me. I don't bother them. There's just sort of an indifference. But you, you know that that is changing. You know that the indifference is giving way to an open hostility. And we're seeing more and more now today, people are saying, like, like they said back right there when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate and he was about to be condemned, and those people under the inspiration of the high priest were shouting, we will not have this man to rule over us. And that's what people are saying today. The reason people hate Jesus is because he represents the rule of God over their lives. And we live in a time when everybody thinks that they are absolutely autonomous, that they have no accountability to anybody, that they are the final authority on what they can do or think or how they live. That's the, the world that we're living in now. So anybody who dares to tell them that the way they're living or what they're thinking or doing is wrong, then that person becomes the enemy. And Jesus, that's what he's telling people all the time. But he, he actually said it himself, even in his day, he said, the world can't hate you. He was speaking to his brothers. He said, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. That's the problem. So we're living in the time when Christ is rejected and we are his followers and we are experiencing that same rejection. But listen, Jesus said this to his disciples and it's applicable to us because we're his disciples as well. It's not the specifics aren't exactly the same, but the principle is the same. Jesus said this to them. He said, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying essentially that same thing to us today. You are the ones who are continuing with me in my trials, my time of rejection. We are the ones who are following him still. And he says, you know, there's a reward. There's a payoff that's coming. And see, this is my point. We have to look forward to the payoff that's coming. It's coming. We might not get it here and now. As a matter of fact, we might get what seems to be unfair treatment what seems to be something that's 
inconsistent with being a Christian. Wait, I'm a Christian. I thought my life was going to be blessed. I thought everything was going to be great. Well, it will be, but maybe not yet. And that's what we have to keep in mind. Now, here, as I said, as you look at each one of these churches, there is the promise to the overcomer. And we want to look at these promises to the overcomer. And let me just say up front, it's a little bit difficult to pinpoint the exact meaning of some of these promises. It's, it's a little challenging, but we're going to try our best to at least get close. But regardless of that, it's safe to say, even if we can't pinpoint exactly what this is referring to, it's safe to say this, that they are describing an experience of joy unspeakable that goes on forever and ever. So even if we can't figure out the exact uh, finer detail of what the promise uh, includes, this is what we know. What we know is Jesus is saying, he who overcomes this thing that is just really so far beyond your, your greatest expectation, that is going to be your reality forever. That's really what he's saying in each of these promises. But let's look at the, the seven. He gives seven because there's seven churches. And so to the Ephesians, he, this is the promise. To those, to those who overcome in Ephesus, he said that they are going to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden of God. To those who overcome in Smyrna, he says they're not going to be hurt by the second death. To those who overcome in Pergamos, he said they're going to be given the hidden manna, the white stone, and a new name. Uh, to those who overcome in Thyatira, they're going to be given authority over the nations and the morning star. For those who overcome in Sardis, they're going to be clothed with white garments. Their name will not be blotted out of the book of life, but their name will be confessed before God. And then to Philadelphia, those who overcome are going to be made a pillar in the house of God, and God's name will be written on their forehead. And then finally, the passage that we started with, those who overcome are going to sit on Christ's throne with him. So you see, these are the promises. And let me reiterate this. Let me say this one more time. All of God's servants from the very beginning of time have lived waiting for those things to come. And they have not yet come fully. They came partially when Jesus came. And of course, the long-awaited uh, fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah, they were realized partially when Jesus came. But of course, the promise of the Messiah was not only that he would suffer and die for sin and destroy sin and death and rise from the dead, but the promise was that he would set up God's eternal kingdom. That part of it, of course, is what we're waiting to have happen. And so in order to be there in that place, we have to overcome. We have to continue to believe in Jesus. But let's, let me just break down uh, the promises. So First of all, they're going to eat of the tree of life. Eating of the tree of life. You know, the book of Revelation is amazing in as much as all scripture is, is brought together in the book of Revelation. It's the book of the consummation of everything. Everything culminates in the book of Revelation. So the tree of life, you find it back in the very beginning. 
there in the Garden of Eden is the tree of life. And then it reappears again in the new heaven and the new earth that are spoken of here in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, we're told about the tree of life, that it's going to be there in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is part of the new heaven and the new earth. And the leaves of the tree are going to be for the health of the nations. And so what the Lord is saying really ultimately is for those who overcome, you're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. You're going to be in the new Jerusalem. You're going to be there. You're going to experience that perfect life that I intended from the very beginning that man forfeited through sin, but Jesus redeemed it. And so we are going to experience it. Those who overcome are going to experience that. And then he said that those who overcome would not be hurt by the second death. The second death is the death you don't want to experience. The first death is, for the most part, inevitable, unless, of course, you happen to be a person who participates in the rapture. But the first death isn't the problem. The second death is the problem because the second death is eternal death. And Jesus says to the, the church in Smyrna, he says, Satan is going to cast some of you into prison. And you're going to be there 10 days. He said, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And he addressed them, maybe you remember, as the one who was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the, the power over death and the grave. So the promise for the overcomer is that there is no second death that will harm you. The overcomer has no fear of hell. The overcomer has no worries that perhaps they are one day going to end up in the lake of fire. No, it's never going to happen. And as we continue to trust in Christ, we have that absolute confidence that the second death will not hurt us. But then he speaks of being given the hidden manna, the white stone, the new name. That's going to be given to the overcomer. What, is, what does this mean? This is where it gets a little bit challenging. But the hidden manna, well, the, the manna, we know manna first appears in the Old Testament. It's the, the bread from heaven that God gave to the ancient Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. He sustained them through this bread from heaven. It was also called the food of angels. But then Jesus comes and he says that he is the bread of life. And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they're going to have life in them. He calls us to feed on him. And I think the idea here is that for those who overcome, they will be completely and eternally satisfied. There will never be dissatisfaction. There will never be discontentment. There will never be a sense that I'm, I'm hungry and I can't be filled because Jesus is the one who fulfills us. Jesus is the one who satisfies us. He gives us that hidden manna, but he also gives us a white stone. And this is where there's all kinds of diversity of opinion among commentators on uh, what the white stone is referring to. Some say that it was a, a stone of acquittal. And when a person was being tried, the way you cast your ballot for whether they were 
innocent or guilty was you either did so with a black stone or a white stone. Obviously, the white stone is the stone of acquittal. Some say that's what it's referring to. Others say that the white stone was actually used as sort of a a ticket into uh, places of prestige. So it was your pass through which you could access places of importance. And so it could be either, but I think in a sense that I, I like the access thing because that's what Jesus has given to us. We, we have access into all of the grace of God. We have access into his eternal kingdom through that white stone. And then I will give them a new name. And the idea here is that it's a, it's a personal name that's known by you and Christ. It's like a pet name. So I gave my, all of my kids, I gave them pet names. And some of them, it stuck with them their whole lives, and they are still mad at me for that. <laughs> you know, my oldest son, his name is Char. His name all of his life was Charlo. His name is actually Brian, Charles. People used to say, so, Charlo, like, where, where did you get a name like that? It sounds, sounds kind of Spanish. <laughs> that name was so attached to him. When he was a kid, I remember he was playing on a basketball team. And the coach, I signed him up as Brian. So he went out to practice. He doesn't know who Brian is. And the coach is like, Brian, come here. Hey, Brian, don't do this. Brian, don't do that. And he's like, he, does, he has no idea that he's the one that's being spoken to. It's like, my name's not Brian. My name is Charlo. Well, you know, he since changed his name to Char. He shortened it. But actually what happened is his sister, who's two years older than him, when he was a brand new baby, we brought him home. And she said, look at baby Charlo. He's so cute. And that was it. It stuck the rest of his life. (laughs) So, you know, he pastors a church up above San Francisco and sometimes we'll go up and see him and occasionally I'll, I'll preach there and I will inevitably call him Charlo and people are looking like, who's Charlo? And then he'll have to explain, oh yeah, that's the dumb name that my parents stuck me with. But it's a, you know, it's a name of affection. So Jesus has got a name for you. He's got a name for me. One of those names like you, maybe as husband and wife, you know, you have those little pet names that you have for each other or your kids. I gave my girls names too, but I would, they would just get so mad if I even mentioned that here. They're, they're, they're much more sensitive. And my youngest son, he just was named by his nephew. His name is Brayden, and he just became B. B. My, my grandson just one day looked at him and said, hey, B, what's going on? And so that, he's had that name. But you, you get what I'm talking about. We're talking, this, like, there's an intimacy to it. And Jesus is going to give that to those who overcome. But then he goes on, he's going to give authority over the nations and the morning star to those who overcome. The ruling and the reigning with Christ, that's what is in the future of those who believe in Jesus. And the morning star, again, there's difference of opinion on what the morning star is referring to. But Jesus himself is called the morning star. So it could be that what he's talking about here is that he will be 
are everything to us and that we will find in him that just complete fulfillment of our very purpose for existing. It's going to be good, whatever it is. But then he spoke about those overcomers being clothed in white garments. And of course, that's obviously referring to the, the righteousness, that we're given a righteousness that's a perfect righteousness, or that our names would not be blotted out of the book of life, that that never under any circumstance could happen. That's the, the idea behind the language there. But rather than that, we're going to be confessed before God. As Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'm going to confess you before my Father in heaven and the angels. And so for the overcomer, that's the case. But then that they would be a, made a pillar in the house of God, that we would be given that permanent place, that place of absolute uh, security forever. Now think about all of these things that we're talking about. These are all the things that human beings long for. We long for security. We long for fulfillment. We long to be loved. That's what, that's, our whole lives are all about that in one shape or form. And yet the reality is most of the time we never find it, do we? Most people never find that. And it gets all twisted and distorted and messed up and, you know, all kinds of Horrible things happen. But, but man was created to be loved, to be secured, to be fulfilled. And that's everything that Jesus is promising here. That all of these things are going to be given us. That God's name is going to be written on our forehead. That we are going to be God's people forever. We are his possession. We belong to him. His seal is upon us. And lastly that we will sit upon the throne. As Jesus said to those 12 who followed him in his trial, you will sit upon 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. The apostles are going to do that. We are going to sit upon thrones as well and have other spheres of judgment. The saints are going to judge the world according to the apostle Paul. So you see, these are all the promises that are given. And I think really at the end, what is being communicated in these promises is really this, that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of a man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God has an amazing thing that he has prepared for us, but it's not yet, but it's coming. And we must persevere. We must endure. We must keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop short. Don't drop out. Don't fall back. And if you've done any of those things, get up. Ask Jesus to pick you up. And he will do it. Because the key to everything is overcoming and we overcome through our faith. We keep trusting Jesus. So no matter where you've been or how you failed or whatever, you just come back and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you again. Help me to trust you. And like I said, it's, it's to keep on believing and to keep on being confident and to keep on repenting. Keep on repenting. As often as we sin, as often as we fail, as often as we, we do what we shouldn't do, 
we come back and we confess it. We repent and we ask him for his grace and he gives it to us and he helps us to overcome. And so remember, life is a series of battles from the beginning to the end. Remember that the best is yet to come. But also remember that the overcomer is the one who ultimately inherits all things. And you know, at the end of the book of Revelation, that's what it says. It says, he who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his or her God, and they shall be my people. That's the future. That's where we're headed. We're not there yet. We're still on the battlefield. We're still in the race. We're still in the storm. But don't worry. There's an everlasting sea of calm that we'll one day sail into. And one day the race will be over. And one day the battle will be over. And we'll enter into a rest and a blessing that is beyond the ability to describe in human language. When the Apostle Paul had a brief moment of being caught up into heaven, he said, I can't really tell you about it because no words could ever do justice to what I saw and experienced there. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, it hasn't entered the heart. But God has given us a taste by his spirit. So the wonderful thing is that it's not all fighting and running and rowing and almost sinking. It's not all that. There are those moments of reprieve. There is that taste of what eye has not seen and ear has not heard. There, there are those tastes that God gives to us through his spirit. Because the Christian life, although it is hard, and although it is a fight, is the best life. But it's leading ultimately to the better life than the best. Because it's the eternal one. In the presence of God, where all of this is no longer and all of that is forever. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Coincidence, do things in life simply happen by chance? Or is there actually a loving God behind the scenes who is weaving His goodness into the details of our lives? Well, in his book, The Myth of Coincidence, John Bonner testifies of the God who uses our failures, weaknesses, and tragedies to intentionally create a life of fruitfulness. If you want to be encouraged that this same God is working in your life in purposeful ways, this book will remind you that God is indeed at work in your life too. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. 
to order The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.